Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, COVID-19. We look at the impact the pandemic is having on Minnesotans, what the governor and lawmakers are doing, how to cope with the stress, the economic impact, and what we can all do to help. Minnesotans, we're in this together. I'm asking you to buckle it up for a few more weeks here. A stay-at-home order issued by Governor Tim Walz is the most far-reaching response so far as the state ramped up its battle against coronavirus. And MNN's Bill Werner is here with a recap of another week in uncharted territory. Scott, the governor clearly wanted to avoid a stay-at-home order, if at all possible, indicating early in the week that he's banking that school, restaurant, and bar closures, plus social distancing measures already in place, would spread out COVID cases so that hospitals are not overwhelmed. There is going to be a certain percentage of people, whether you shelter in place or don't, are going to end up in the ICU. The thing that we're striving for is is to not let anybody show up at the hospital who needs an ICU or a ventilator not be able to get one. Even before his stay-at-home order, the governor this week ordered a moratorium on eviction proceedings against those who don't pay their rent, citing economic repercussions of COVID-19. We can't make this worse. We can't be brought in the streets. This will not do anything in terms of stopping the spread of this. And of course, it will be uh, not only personally cruel, it will be uh, counterproductive to what we're trying to do. But the governor also asked Minnesotans who are able to pay their rent to continue doing so. The state pushed the Minnesota income tax filing deadline back three months to July 15th, matching an earlier move by the federal government. I made this decision because it's the right thing for Minnesotans, but I also ask Minnesotans to understand this has ramifications on some of the resources that we will not have going forward, and we will have to correct those. It's expected the economic impact of the COVID-19 pandemic will significantly affect the state budget, which only a few weeks ago had a projected surplus of $1.5 billion. By midweek, the governor had decided a stay-at-home order was necessary, and he directed that it start at midnight Friday night and run through April 10th, a period of two weeks. If I put on shelter-in-place indefinitely, what that would do would buy more time but it would not reduce the infection rates that would eventually be coming. In a highly detailed presentation using charts and graphs, the governor told Minnesotans testing was not in place soon enough to flatten the curve on coronavirus cases. Walls says the goal now, slow down the rate of COVID infections to buy time until the state gets a surge of intensive care units in place. We will be able to transfer our arenas or our stadiums into uh, hospitals. We may be able to use uh, motel space to have stand up those rooms. We will be able to stockpile the personal protective equipment and get the ventilators into the system. The governor says 85% of people who get COVID-19 have only mild symptoms, but 15% require hospitalization and a third of those hospitalized will need to be in the ICU. If you get sick and if you need an ICU, and if that ICU is available with a ventilator and all of the things you need, you have a 10 times greater chance of surviving this. Under the governor's stay-at-home order, Minnesotans can still go out to get groceries, fill the gas tank, see the doctor, of course, and care for others, including pets. The governor says, in addition... Outdoor activities, be smart about this. Don't congregate together, um, but if you can get out and and social distance and, and walk... That's good things. If you're running, please do so and and, and stay away from one another. But uh, those are things you can continue to do. 
Certain jobs are also exempt from the governor's stay-at-home order, including health care and related fields, law enforcement and first responders, employees at emergency shelters and congregate living facilities, child care, food and agriculture, energy, water and wastewater treatment, and critical manufacturing. And the governor had a message for those whose job or business is not on the exempt list. That does not mean that the, the economic activity you provide, if you are a shop owner providing retail sales, um, you are a part of the fabric of this state and, and, and absolutely important. Minnesota's business leaders seem to generally agree with the governor's approach. Minnesota Chamber of Commerce President Doug Loon says he appreciates that the governor's stay-at-home order is of short duration with a robust list of exceptions. It creates a balance, uh, and that we want to emphasize that we need a balance between protecting public health and safeguarding our state's economy for the long term. And we believe we can do both. Charlie Weaver with the Minnesota Business Partnership says the governor's stay-at-home order, quote, allows our state to effectively confront this public health threat while ensuring key sectors of our economy continue to function. Minnesota legislature this week on strong votes in both the House and Senate passed a roughly $300 million COVID relief package, Phase 2, sending it to the desk of Governor Tim Walz. But Senate Republicans say it does not do enough to help small businesses in Minnesota. They're working on the margins to begin with, and then when we're shutting them down, uh, they're not going to be coming back. East Grand Forks Republican Mark Johnson, St. Cloud Republican Jerry Ralph says the business loans in the current package only help restaurants, public gatherings, and some of the service providers such as cosmetologists, barbers, etc. This bill needs to go far, far beyond those narrow businesses. And Republican Majority Leader Paul Gazelka says of the nearly $600 million the legislature has appropriated so far for COVID-19 response, only 30 to $40 million is for small businesses. In the next phase moving forward, that is an area that I expect some help. Uh, again, all of us working together, what can we do to make sure that these small businesses make it through this tough time. Governor Tim Walz's stay-at-home order is in effect for two weeks, and Republicans clearly hope that will be the extent of it. Senate Majority Leader Gazelka says the governor has the power to make that emergency declaration. However, I'm also asking him to weigh heavily the consequences to all of the, the jobs out there and the job uh, creators and what's going to happen. Are those jobs still going to be there after? Gazelka says he hopes the governor lifts the stay-at-home order as soon as possible. I hope that people get to work as soon as they can. I think people get the social distancing. We all know uh, the things that we can do to slow down the virus. And so I think as soon as he can do that, uh, I'm encouraging him to do that. Scott. Thank you, Bill. Up next, some meal plan options for people in need in greater Minnesota when Minnesota Matters returns. Hi, Minnesota. Governor Tim Walz here. I know the past few weeks have been incredibly difficult and disruptive. We're facing an unprecedented challenge in the COVID-19 virus. I want you to know that the state of Minnesota is putting every resource into this fight. We're being thoughtful and collaborative both inside and outside of government to keep Minnesotans safe. What I need from each of you is, is continue to do what you've been doing so well. Stay home when you can, especially when you're sick. Follow those rules. Wash your hands. Cover your cough. Don't touch your face. They're not just things to repeat. They actually save lives. If you need more information, please go to the Minnesota Department of Health website and use the hashtag StayHomeMN. 
Minnesotans, we've been through challenging times before. This will press us, but we will get through it. We'll do it by the basic decency, about caring for our neighbors and following the rules that keep us all safe. We'll get through this together, Minnesota, and come out stronger on the other side. Thanks for your cooperation. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. The University of Minnesota Extension is providing meal kits in greater Minnesota to help serve vulnerable, isolated community members during the COVID-19 outbreak. I chatted with spokeswoman Kathy Drager about the program. Part of my work at the University of Minnesota is I work with small-town grocery stores throughout the state. We actually have about 250 grocery stores that are located in in our communities that have a population 2,500 or less. And it's important that we keep, you know, the flow of food, maintaining the flow of food into these communities. And so um, we looked at ways that these grocers could help participate with their community groups in making sure that we had some um, emergency food available that could supplement, uh, like, for example, people having to go to a food shelf. And basically, we worked with nutritionists. Um, I talked with grocers. We tested a kit that is 14 days of meals, and it's a complete package that um, are being put together by community groups in conjunction with their small-town grocers, and those kits are standing ready to deploy in communities for, for example, if we have elderly people who need to stay in place and don't want to go grocery shopping because they have uh, health conditions or underlying health conditions or people who are exposed or have contracted the virus and who need to quarantine. Um, this is an opportunity we can deliver these boxes and or I should when I say we, Extension is not doing this. I should say we are providing the guidance for community groups to do this and those groups in conjunction with their food shelf and other organizations can deploy those kits directly to households in need. So I could just tell you a little bit about the kit. The kit is a 14-day meal plan with basically two meals a day, kind of a brunch and a dinner. And we tried to make sure that they have some fruits and some vegetables and, you know, pasta as well as, you know, pancake mix and other items that a person could create meals with that are not too difficult to cook um, in case someone's not feeling well, but could provide, um, you know, an array of relatively healthy meals over a two-week period. And you mentioned that the meals are distributed by community groups, and is, is that happening right now? And if we do happen to have listeners out there that want uh, to participate in this plan and get meals delivered, what do they need to do? So for those people in your listening area who are in need of, um, you know, to have some food and they are not wanting to leave their homes or shouldn't leave their homes, you should start with contacting your food shelf. Um, In some places, there's other community groups you can contact, your church or other community organizations, but the food shelf is a good place to start. Um, So we've noted the food shelf in the county that I've been working with um, did notify the um, did notify the food shelf that these kits are available and they're sitting in the in communities and they are ready to go out. Um, so that's that's basically we're still we're just trying to support and augment the existing food shelf 
but with an option with these meals that are packed and ready to go. Each kit we, we bought and tested and looked at and rearranged this kit, and, and what each kit has is about 62 pounds of food, So that's and we've boxed that into three individual boxes just to test to see what's going to be the best way to pack and deliver these. And each box, at the time we made them, cost between $120 and $150. Now, I understand that the price of groceries might be on the increase, but at this time we're still saying that the box of food is around $120 to $150 per kit. And the way I've seen this deployed is a community group and church um, putting together the funding and contacting the grocery store saying, we, here's the list, and you can get that list at the Extension website. Here's the list of groceries. The grocer takes those off the shelf, creates the kits, and then the community group takes the kits and has them ready to deploy. And just to be clear, Kathy, the, the cost for the kits is being paid for by the community groups that are, that are providing the meal kits so that the consumer doesn't pay for it. Is that correct? At this time, that's the model that we're using. Um, so, yes, at this time, community groups are stepping up to have this food on the ready for their vulnerable community members, and that might include low-income families but also for people who are in this emergency situation and would need to have a two-week supply of food that someone could drop off at their home and then they would have available to them. And you mentioned just a few minutes ago the U of M Extension website. If there are community groups or potential uh, customers for these meal kits that are interested in getting more information, what specifically is that web address? Extension.u. Excuse me. That web address is extension.umn.edu, and as of today, uh, the meal kit um, is on the front page of the Extension website. It's called Rural Grocery Grocer Network. Feed those in isolation. And that was kind of going to lead to my, my final question here. If we do have listeners out there that want this help and need to participate in this program, uh, if they call their food shelf, what should they ask for so that the food shelf knows that they're talking about this program? So they could ask if you have a 14-day meal kit available, um, or they could uh even probably more helpful is if you have a community group that would like to do this, you could talk to your uh, food shelf and perhaps coordinate with your food shelf to have these kits made. One of the things that's important as we're building these kits is that we continue to work with our small town grocery stores. So part of the value of this kit, it's supplying food to our vulnerable populations, but it's also maintaining the economic viability of our small town stores and making sure that we still have a robust food distribution system through all of our small town grocery stores. So really the value of this kit is partnering with community groups and your main street small town grocery stores to make these researched, prepared meal kits available in your community. Thank you to my guest, Kathy Drager, with the U of M Extension. Minnesota Matters returns after this. (music) 
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. As the COVID-19 pandemic deepens, many of us are worried about banks, cash flow, access to money, more importantly, our financial future. Tasha Radel has more. That's right, Scott. In fact, a new report shows nearly 70% of Minnesotans feel anxious about the impact of coronavirus on the banking institution. But financial experts warn us not to panic, saying that the U.S. financial system is stronger now than during the last financial crisis in 2008. Another word, you don't need to withdraw your money from your accounts to stuff under your mattress. Joining me today is Joe Witt, president and CEO of the Minnesota Bankers Association. Well, wanted to visit with you. Obviously, Joe, COVID-19 pandemic continues to deepen and we're seeing many ripple effects across Minnesota. And I know that this includes our financial institution and banks. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about what you folks are doing here at the state level? Sure. Um, You know, we've seen a lot of businesses that have been closed down, like bars and restaurants, Um, but banks are considered an essential business, so they are ready to help everyone out. Um, And that's actually our message, that the banks are open for business. Um, Minnesota banks are in great financial shape right now with strong capital positions, so we are in a very good position to help Minnesota families and businesses get through this pandemic. And, you know, um, our, when you look at the different banks, I know it's probably different from one cluster to another, but are they limiting hours? Are they doing drive-through only, or is it just kind of depend upon that personal bank? Yeah, um, we have seen some of that. Banks are committed to keeping their, their employees as well as their customers safe. So you may see some of them change their delivery channels just a little bit. For example, they are encouraging internet banking and mobile banking and uh, the use of drive-throughs. Um, some banks may limit lobby hours or require appointments to meet with a banker. Um, and this pandemic is probably going to get worse before it gets better, so um, we may see more of that in the future. But um, Banks are definitely committed to being open as much as they can and and looking for ways to help out. And Joe, I know I talked to you earlier this week um, about, I I guess I asked you, worst case scenario, if, you know, everything like California or if Minnesota, everything came to a standstill. You guys have different security and different protections in place where you would never not be operational. Is that fair to say? Yes, it is. Um, All banks are required to have... um, business continuity plans and disaster recovery plans to make sure that we could continue to process transactions. Um, So we have to make sure that even if, you know, those worst case scenarios happen, we're still going to be able to process people's mortgage payments. We're still going to be able to process their uh, car loan payments and all those different things. And on the business side, we're making sure that we're going to continue to make sure that businesses um, are served as well so that they can meet their payrolls and do all that stuff. All those uh, um, all those transactions are now electronic, and we can, um, we can make sure that we continue to process all that stuff so that we don't uh, end up with a worse economic situation. All right. Well, lots of great information, Joe. Was there anything else you wanted to add today? Well, I guess the only other thing I wanted to say is that um, we do know that um, some individuals and some families and some businesses are stressed during this time. Um, The banks are always looking for ways to support our business and our individual customers that are affected uh, by this uh, situation. And um, we want to help, and the bank regulators have encouraged banks to help just like other natural disasters, if there's a tornado or there's a flood or there's a hurricane, the, the regulators encourage the banks to help people out. 
and uh, just like that, we're we're in a very good position to help people out if they're struggling with being laid off from 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 these situations or our business customers that have been forced to close. So my advice would be contact your bank um, as soon as you know there's a problem. Um, the sooner you contact your bank, the more help we can provide. So don't wait till later on. Don't let a you know short-term problem turn into a major problem. Contact your banker so that they can help. Thanks again to my guest, Joe Witt, president and CEO of the Minnesota Bankers Association. But before throwing it back to you, Scott, I also want to remind our listeners about phone scammers that have seized the pandemic as an opportunity to prey on consumers like you and me. I want to share a couple of examples. The first one involves Social Security benefits. Hello, this is a call from the Social Security Administration. During these difficult times of the coronavirus, we regret to inform you that we have got an order to suspend your socials immediately within 24 hours due to suspicious and fraudulent activities found on your socials. We are contacting you as this case is critical and needs your urgent attention. To get more information about this case, please call immediately on our department number 888-991-2325. The next one involves COVID-19 testing kits. Response Act has made coronavirus testing more accessible immediately. If you want to receive a free testing kit delivered overnight to your home, press 1. If you do not want your free testing, press 2. If you have been the victim of a scam, reach out to your local law enforcement agency, along with contacting the Better Business Bureau of Minnesota. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Hi, Minnesota. Governor Tim Walz here. I know the past few weeks have been incredibly difficult and disruptive. We're facing an unprecedented challenge in the COVID-19 virus. I want you to know that the state of Minnesota is putting every resource into this fight. We're being thoughtful and collaborative both inside and outside of government to keep Minnesotans safe. What I need from each of you is, is continue to do what you've been doing so well. Stay home when you can, especially when you're sick. Follow those rules. Wash your hands. Cover your cough. Don't touch your face. They're not just things to repeat. They actually save lives. If you need more information, please go to the Minnesota Department of Health website and use the hashtag StayHomeMN. Minnesotans, we've been through challenging times before. This will press us, but we will get through it. We'll do it by the basic decency, about caring for our neighbors and following the rules that keep us all safe. We'll get through this together, Minnesota, and come out stronger on the other side. Thanks for your cooperation. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. This weekend should have marked the beginning of the Major League Baseball season. Instead, like the rest of us, the ball players are in a holding pattern. Meanwhile, as MN's J.W. Cox tells us, independent league teams in the upper Midwest, like the St. Paul Saints and Fargo-Moorhead Red Hawks, remain hopeful their seasons will begin as scheduled later this spring. I am quarantined. I'm finding out new ways to use hot dog water. You put it into your diffuser, you can have delicious hot dog smell throughout your entire house. That's the chef. One of the heavy hitters in the Saints lineup of usher-tainers that work the stands during games at CHS Field. For more than 25 years, the Saints have provided their own brand of baseball and hijinks at the ballpark. Now, as the organization monitors the COVID-19 crisis along with the rest of us, they pivoted their efforts to entertainment 
and distraction via social media. If there's anything that we're good at, it's being distracting. Saints Executive Vice President and General Manager Derek Scherer says they're still working to get prepared to welcome people to the park later this spring when the Saints on the field get down to the business of defending their 2019 American Association Championship. But until then, they're not just going to sit around and wait to get back to the business of fun. They're looking for fun now, and we're doing our best over our digital media platforms to try to provide some of that fun even now through live rewatches of games, through uh, our entertainment team uh, dealing with the quarantine. As for when the games will be on, Scherer says the traditional late start for independent ball gives them plenty of hope. The plan is to sit tight while continuing to move forward. <laughs> We're dealing with the same uncertainty that all professional sports and entertainment venues, all places of public gathering are, are dealing with. Logistically, Sher says when given the go-ahead, they can ramp up to the season quickly. We have the ability to be very nimble as an independent minor league franchise and as a league on the whole. We would be able to mobilize very quickly. So our plan is to, to wait until, say, mid-April to make a determination on when we bring our players in, and we can wait as late as the end of April to determine when we're actually going to start the schedule. So for now, we're slated for May 19th, and we're going to work toward that date. Hopefully, we're able to start then. If not, we do have a couple of contingencies in place for late start. We've taken a look at a June 1st start, what that schedule would look like, and we've taken a look at a June 15th start to see what that schedule would look like, and a couple of different approaches to, to both of those schedules, too, whether it means adding dates on the end of the schedule, whether it means picking the schedule up where it starts and playing through the original end. A lot of different ideas being kicked around, I'm sure similar to all of the major leagues, taking a look at every possible outcome. The Saints do already have players signed to their roster, but not a full squad. That is something Scherer says does take time, and it's nothing new for the organization to be putting the finishing touches on their squad in the weeks and days leading up to the first pitch. Our field manager, George Samus, who's managed the Saints since 2003, tends to wait when he's putting together his roster. He'll re-sign players from last year's roster that, that we're very comfortable with, but that typically is only about at most 50% of the roster. The, the rest of those roster spots remain available as we watch Major League Spring Training. Whenever they do get to throw a pitch, Scherer is confident that the Saints will continue to make a positive impact on the community, including helping to spur the local economy once again. I know that was the way things played out with the economic crash in late 2008 into 2009 and 10. Certainly, minor league baseball as a whole was positioned very well to be an affordable opportunity for families and others to, to entertain. We feel like we're positioned very well for that. Where, where I think we're even better positioned is to be a much-needed distraction. Of course, we're always going to be affordable. That's a big part of who we are. But I think more importantly, we're going to do our best as we always do to be fun. You know, you hate to, to get too cliche with the now more than ever's, but there's no question people are going to be looking for fun. Whether it's big moments between the chalk. The magical run has its storybook ending. The St. Paul Saints are champions of the American Association. Or a questionable culinary master doling out homemaking advice. Brilliant and delicious, okay? For the Saints, it always comes back to the fun. Scott, back to you. Thank you, JW. Hopefully Minnesotans can have some fun this weekend as we mostly stay at home. 
That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.